Hello, this is Xander with the Revenue Growth Architects podcast by CS2. Joining me today is Allison, Chief Architect and Analyst at CS2. How are you doing, Allison? Good. Happy to be here. How about oh, man. It has been a minute since we've, since we've had you on the podcast. I'm so excited that you are able to join us today. We are, we are meeting right before a long weekend, so I think we are both excited to talk about today's topic, and we're also just excited to let our brains rest for, for a few days. Um, so what we wanted to talk about today is a very interesting topic and something that you have been thinking about deeply for a long time before CS2 and probably more time while at CS2, and that is around how can we get better at tracking our life cycles? How can we really take it to the next level. And uh, and one way that we are going to be talking about doing this today is leveraging Salesforce cu custom objects to do so. Um, to get us started, Allison, first of all, you know, how are people primarily tracking life cycles and what are some of the issues of going about it that way? Yeah, I would say like probably the most popular or the way people typically get started with a life cycle is um, building date stamps on your lead object and on your contact object. And, you know, when someone MQLs, you're updating the MQL date and then you're changing the status. And then as those leads and contacts progress in the, in the funnel through the different statuses, you're updating, you know, different date stamps on leads and contacts and opportunities. And then, you know, typically when you're, trying to build your revenue plan or kind of understand where the bottlenecks are in your funnel. You're having to kind of either look at separate lead reports and contact reports and opportunity reports and stitching them together and doing a lot of manual efforts to figure out what's really going on in your funnel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's probably what I was most familiar with and had built out in in a variety of ways. Um, you know, it was nice. I had a I had a BI stack behind me, a data stack where we could actually do some of the stitching that way. Um, but it was still kind of a pain in the butt because at the end of the day, some teams just wanted to operate off of Salesforce and you didn't have visibility into it in a great way, right? Right. So so what are some, what's the alternative that we've been uh, exploring as a CS2 team, um, as an SA team? We've been doing a lot of work with our clients. What are we doing now? Um, so one thing that we've been doing is using a custom object, uh, like a life cycle object that has, you know, relationships to your lead object, your contact object, your opportunity object, and that life cycle object is then tracked through that entire journey. So instead of having to stitch together lead reports, contact reports, opportunity reports, you're just pulling life cycle reports. And then additionally, one of the problems that kind of overcomes with some of the other methods is that because it's a separate object, you can kind of have that one to many relationship between a person and life cycles. So if somebody MQLs today, you know, today and then doesn't convert to an opportunity or does, you know, maybe does, but it's a closed loss opportunity, 
then six months down the road, they come back. We retain both of those journeys on separate life cycle records. So you have kind of the historical reference because like one of the common downsides of the lead and contact method is that you'll look at a report of how many MQLs did I generate in January and it's a hundred records but then you run that same report two months later and now the MQLs from January's 80 records because 20 of them have re-MQLed so mm. you can't really do uh, revenue planning in an accurate way unless you're tracking every journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I know as we as we talk about this with clients, sometimes they say, I don't think that's a big deal. Do you have any response to that? Like, I don't think that's necessarily happening in my business. It, it happens more than you'd think, um, just be, especially with a lot of our clients that were, you know, they're B2B, tech companies that have, you know, complex sales cycles where, you know, it, it just takes multiple attempts to convert to an opportunity and um, things change all the time. So it's quite often we'll, where you'll have somebody, you know, start a, a sales process and it, you know, it doesn't work out for one reason or another and then come back later. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's one of the main pain points that we get with our clients is not being able to, to really see the historicals accurately. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes such a big difference. And, and I've been saying the same thing. It's like, if we don't measure it. How do we know it's not happening multiple times? You know, it's like you, you, you don't have any visibility into that in your tech stack today. Um, the nice thing about the life cycle too, you know, maybe we should just quick take a, take a moment. Cause I know that we've talked about it in the past of what tipping point is, but I feel like that's pretty important. So just like, when does the life cycle start and when does it end? And like, how can we make sure that that's measured effectively? Yeah. So the way that we do that with a custom object is, you know, as soon as you're, as soon as you're, lead or your contact is reached as your MQL threshold or, you know, you're ready to send them to sales. We're taking the most recent thing they did. Typically, like you have your latest lead source fields and we're stamping that on the life cycle to say, hey, this is the reason the life cycle started. And then as that life cycle progresses, we know you know, how many life cycles started due to X, Y, or Z campaigns and how far did they pro progress? And you could really kind of drill down and understand what campaigns are most effective at driving that life cycle. Um, and then similarly, if it's like a salesperson doing their own outbounding, we track that life cycle source back to sales. And so we can see the efficiency of, the sales team doing their own outbounding of individual reps because we're stamping like who you know we, we would typically suggest stamping who owned the record at each stage so you can see rep performance that way as well that's fantastic yeah i i think that it opens up a lot of possibilities you mentioned stamping people 
Um, are there other fields that we will... Uh, uh, you also mentioned, obviously, campaign and channel performance, stamping that onto the life cycle. Are there other things that you've been kind of exploring using that object for? Yeah, so like quite often, too, um, one of the downsides of some of the other tracking methods is, you know, it's really effective for that linear life cycle to become a new customer. But a lot of our clients also want to measure, you know, expansions and upsells and those kinds of things. So another thing that we typically will stamp on the life cycle is, you know, is this person already a customer or not? And so that, that way you can slice and dice your funnel metrics by um, your customer funnel versus your, you know, new logo funnel. Um, and, you know, definitely see different patterns and conversion rates and um, volume there. Um, another thing that we have been exploring is like SLA attainment. So, um, you know, stamping based, based on that life cycle source or based on that tipping point, we want the sales rep to follow up on this record within an hour or one business day and being able to stamp whether that that SLA was attained on the life cycle um, so that we can measure like who's who is following up on their records within the SLA who isn't you know is there a change in conversion rate when we see uh, uh, the velocity shorter between those stages or not um, so it's there's lots of things that you can do with the data once you've got it tracked on that custom object. That's really nice. Yeah, I'm I'm right now working with uh, somebody on our team and with the client on tracking tasks. And we're not utilizing a custom object to track the life cycle. And there's a lot more complexities that come into play. And I'm like, man, it would be really nice if we had this custom object that we could just put how many tasks have been logged in between stages X, Y, and Z. Um, you can utilize that for telling many different stories, not just the not just the the actual life cycle, even though I would probably say that's the most important story that we're trying to tell, right? Can you yeah, explain I mean, to me again? Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say even another another way to think about it too is uh, we often stamp the like lead score fields when the life cycle starts. So you can also look at your uh, the effectiveness of your lead score. And like, are we sending leads over to sales too soon? Is there a difference in conversion rate in terms of different scoring tiers? And um, using that data to then adjust like, okay, maybe we need to lower our threshold or increase our threshold. That's great. Yeah, we just got done talking about uh, just a couple of episodes before talking about tiering your MQLs. So do you have anything of like, if it's a hand raiser versus a non-hand raiser, do, do we do we kind of show that in the life cycle as well? Yeah, exactly. So if a client is tiering their MQLs, we'll stamp what tier were they at when the life cycle started. And then you can, again, like group your life cycle report by tier and see volume velocity conversion rate by tier. That's really cool. Um. So some problems that I'm hearing that we solved, we we have a single source of truth for all of our timestamps. Can you explain to me a little bit more um, 
around the value of having both leads and contacts on this single object, especially when it comes to reporting. I just want to make sure that that is something that's pretty clear. Yeah, because so if you if you're tracking it just on leads and just on contacts, then, um, you know, you can definitely throw both reports onto the same dashboard and get at your volume metrics and your conversion metrics, but you have to do those calculations outside of Salesforce. So for volume, I mean, it's simple. You're just adding the MQLs from your lead report from to, to the MQLs from your contact report. And then similarly with conversion rate, you're, you know, adding your volumes and doing the calculation for conversion. But velocity is actually pretty tricky too, because then you need the days between each stage and then you need to pull those reports, put them in one report and get the average or the median to really understand the velocity. So it just makes for a lot of extra work and it's not something you can easily just pull up a single dashboard to show this is my full funnel for the last 12 months or for the last, you know, however long you want to look at your funnel. Very, very cool. Yes. Um, are there any other problems that this is solving that we that we failed to touch on? You've got customer life cycle, which I know is is a big problem for a lot of companies. Every time that I've tried to deal with the customer life cycle, I'm like, let's just exclude it. Really, let's just solve this for the prospect. And then you lose so much visibility after the fact. Um, anything else? Yeah, I mean, I guess kind of going back to the tipping point as well is because we're stamping that on the life cycle and it's not getting overwritten, you can really see the performance, at least from a from a tipping point perspective, we'd still always recommend looking at not just your tipping point, but all the touches and seeing, you know, looking at multi-touch attribution. It's a whole nother podcast. But um <laughs> but um it's it's a lot easier to track the performance of your campaigns and channels relative to your funnel metrics if you're stamping that on you know, your life cycle and it's not getting overwritten each time. Absolutely. And and I always just feel like no matter how well you try and build it, there's always something that goes wrong. Like you get these weird things where you have somebody who's sitting in sales accepted and for some reason their meeting booked date from the last time that they went through the funnel is still sitting there. And then like you get all these really, really strange uh, data points that you always have to clean out. Are you finding that it's a little bit easier to manage it utilizing this methodology? Yeah, a little bit because, you know, we're starting a new life cycle each time that journey begins. And so we're not having to like look at, should I use the prior date or stamp today's date? Or um, like one thing you have to be careful with with the lead and contact method is like when somebody re-MQLs, you, you need to like clear the future stage lead dates so that yeah. you don't have negative velocity and so you don't have to think about that kind of stuff for sure yeah i i, I imagine that that would make a big difference so allison all of this sounds really great um i think that having the custom object i've seen it be super helpful for 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 our clients um how are we going about doing this with organizations yeah so a lot of the way that we've been doing it is 
via Salesforce automation, specifically using Salesforce Flow, um, a tiny bit of Apex in certain cases, but um, essentially building flows that listen for, you know, your lead and contact status changes to happen, opportunities to be created. And based on those kind of triggering conditions, we're creating a new life cycle, updating an active life cycle, shutting down a life cycle, starting a new life cycle. Um, so there's a lot more, especially with the last couple of years, updates to Salesforce flows that we can do directly with declarative automation. Um, so, you know, there's definitely some complexity to it. Um, you know, even specifically on things like lead conversion, where, you know, you could have a lead that's in an active life cycle, and then you're converting it into an existing contact that also has an active life cycle. So you do have to kind of think about how th that is all going to work in the flows, but it is something that we have um, built for, for our clients. And um, yeah, just leveraging a lot of automation within Salesforce to handle it. That's great. And, and this is something that you've developed uh, over the last few, well, probably not more than the last few months, but I know that we've been developing like an internal product that we are bringing to the market, right? Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. So we've actually built a, an unmanaged package um, that for, you know, for our clients that want to track the life cycle in this way. And, um, you know, it's a package of Salesforce flows, a little bit of Apex. Um, it uses um, actually custom metadata so that we can essentially use the same flows for all of our clients, but change, you know, different settings if they use different statuses and things like that. And the flows look at the custom metadata to determine, you know, what fields to set. Um, and yeah, the nice thing is it's, you know, a lot of there's a there's a several other tools that you can buy to to do something like this, um, but quite often there's you know like a subscription cost and things like that. But with this being an unmanaged package, it's we install it, we configure it. Um, since it's unmanaged, you can make changes to the flows as you wish. Um, add on other fields to stamp onto that lifecycle. Um, so yeah, it's just allows us to be pretty flexible with um, how we implement it, but standardized and how, you know, the kinds of things that we're doing with the funnel. And it also kind of, it also includes, you know, a standard set of reports and dashboards um, to do revenue planning, you know, funnel analysis, like where things are showing bottlenecks and things like that. So... Yeah, I know. I know. Anytime that I was in house and working on these types of projects, it was it was a little tricky because I wanted to make sure that I had a lifecycle that was working for my business. But there's also a pretty standard way that you can do lifecycle work, right? Every time, every every organization that we work with kind of aligns to the same general SaaS renewable business process. Um, at least for a lot of the clients that we work with, and I assume a lot of the audience that we have today. So it's nice to have something that has been tested thoroughly, 
worked through all of the scenarios, like you say, merges, conversions, deletions, all of the things that have to be kind of figured out. Um, and we've been able to to run through that and then work through that with multiple clients. So you you start to learn something every single time, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. And so to, to be able to have the uh, the process already basically built and then can be further customized is nice. It's not just a black box either. You have the ability to see how everything is built and take it further if you need to, right? Yep. Exactly. So it is something, this is something that we are working with existing clients. This is something that we would love to be able to work on with other, with other organizations. And it's something that you're going to continue to hear about from CS2 um, because it's helping a lot of organizations really grow. It's, it's a lot of the revenue growth architecture that we talk about on the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. Um, this is just a really nice package to get the the meat of what's necessary. Um, Allison, can you touch on just some of the things that we oftentimes need to solve for from a prerequisite standpoint? Not necessarily going into a ton of detail, but there's just things that we want to make sure are working before we go forth with a project like this. Yeah, so I mean, typically, I mean, with any lifecycle project, you want to understand like what are your statuses and stages and kind of define what those are so you know you're like your mql stage your working stage at what point are you creating an opportunity is it when a meeting is set or do you do that before and what are the different stages that you want to track and having those statuses defined um another thing just with it with this as well is because the life cycles tied back to, you know, a lead or a contact. You'll want to make sure that your sales team is always creating opportunities, either a lead conversion or off a contact, or you have some sort of automation to tie a contact to an opportunity. And it's not just like an opportunity created off the account. Um, a big, big thing is your your lead source tracking and you know, typically that's involved involves setting up like UTMs on your website and making sure that you're standardizing how you're setting those UTMs, that every lead that's coming into the system has, you know, the latest lead source values. You're updating those latest lead source values whenever your leads or contacts are doing something new. Um trying to think what else is on our list, but those are some of the major ones. Yeah, I would say that those are the key ones working through with clients. And and again, these are things that we can that we can certainly help with. These are these are all of the pieces that you need for a good foundation to your marketing and sales engine, right? Um so I, you know, none of them should be surprises for anybody, but if you just if every organization was able to take the time, get back to the basics, get this to run really really well, you would be able to gather insights that you may not have had access to before. Allison, do you want to dig into what some of those insights may be? Sure. Yeah. I mean, with a with a life cycle, one of one of the key things that I've used it for in my past life is um kind of being more predictable about um how much, you know, 
marketing source pipeline or revenue we can expect given our budget. So, you know, you're taking your budget, you're taking your historical volume velocity conversion metrics and your average deal size and you're calculating, you know, how, how, how many, uh, how much pipeline can we expect? Are we over or under revenue goals? What can we do to optimize each conversion within the funnel? Um, and kind of, you can then use that data too to figure out, okay, like what what campaigns are converting at a higher rate, at a quicker velocity, and what campaigns aren't, and kind of moving around your budget accordingly so that, especially if, you know, you've got a tight budget or, you know, your budget's cut, using that data to determine where to invest those dollars is really important so that you can still reach your revenue goals without having to ask for more budget. Absolutely. I mean, now more than ever, we have to make sure that we're not only optimizing, but we're but we're spending our money wisely. And if we can turn back and show where all of that is going and, and what type of impact it's making to the business, you're gonna be able to make further investments. And that's what we're that's what we're ultimately trying to do. Win more, earn more, grow more, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd also say that you you get a lot of feedback from your sales team by tracking the funnel this way, because you know, if if, you know, you're imkilling a bunch of records and they're all getting recycled or returned to marketing and they're providing, you know, reasons why, you can kind of look at that by campaign and say like, ooh, you know, this campaign, while it, while we got a lot of MQLs from it, they're all like kind of the wrong persona. So maybe, maybe we should invest in something different or, or, or might, there might even be surprises. Like we experimented with this campaign and you know, we had a huge conversion rate. Let's do this again. <laughs> um, yeah. So. I like that. I like that a lot. And you can clearly show your sales team what's working, what's not working. Um, you get you get the life cycles themselves closed out with what the reason is. So you have a clear feed, feedback loop and it's not. That's always the worst is. Hey, let's do some analysis on recycle reasons, but it keeps on getting removed as soon as the new life cycle starts. So you lose some of that historical data too. And so like you don't have yeah. a whole picture of what's really happening. Um, and so being able to see that is really key as well. Yeah. I think another thing too is just um, like rep performance as well. So because we're stamping like, who owns the record when the life cycle began or who, you know, was responsible for the follow-up on this person. And then looking at the subsequent, like how long, how long did it take for them to follow up? You know, what stage did they end up reaching? What is it? What's our conversion rate? What's our velocity by rep and using that as a coaching mechanism as well. So it's not just helpful for marketing, helpful for sales. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're measuring the sales, the 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 sales funnel as well as the marketing funnel. Um, so definitely interesting, and and then you had mentioned that you can also align that with SLAs, right? Right. Yep. Cool, Allison. Thank you so much. Um, this is 
truly a different way to approach the life cycle than I had ever seen. And I find it to be really helpful. Are there any closing thoughts or recommendations that you'd give to the audience today? Um, just kind of reinforce that, um, you know, tracking a life cycle, whether it is via this custom object method or another method, um, will really help you analyze your marketing engine. So even if you have to do the lead and contact method, well, you know, there are the downsides that we've addressed today. Um, you know, definitely it, it can be a way to get started, but, you know, if you have the time to invest in moving towards the custom object method, especially, you know, as you're starting out, having that historical data year over year is just going to really help you understand what's working and what's not and optimize. And, you know, you'll look like a rock star at your company if you are able to kind of address, uh, you know, those bottlenecks and figuring out where to invest those dollars. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It ties very well with one of our previous episodes that we were talking about finding wins within your funnel. Well, you have to measure that funnel in order to find those wins. And if we had any recommendation, it would be go this way. Um, if you don't have the time or the capability, there are definitely other options. But if you want to get the most out of that funnel data, we believe that this tracking methodology is is really the way to go about doing it. Um, and if you are interested in learning how you, you know, how far you are to doing a methodology like this, um, or if you want some insights into what you are currently doing for your funnel tracking and want to talk with CS2, please do. Um, we, we will have a, a way to reach out to us right now. You can come to CS2's website, cs2marketing.com. Uh, definitely contact us. Let us know that, that you heard about this through the podcast. Um, it's just a very fitting topic for us to, to talk through those free advisory services that we're offering. And yeah, Allison, thank you so much for joining today. Uh, I think that this is a very important topic, one that is always really important. I feel like we talk about it a lot because it's really central to what's going on. Yep. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and of course, yes, it's, it's been too long. So I'm glad that we were able to make that happen. And thank you to all of our people who have been listening today. If you got something out of this episode if this was something that was very interesting to you please share it with a colleague or a friend or write us a review we would really greatly appreciate it thank you and have a great day